This has been uh, the wettest time I've been here, I think. A little bit of drizzle this morning, which is absolutely wonderful. And uh, so great to see you all. And uh, thank you so much for having me back. Uh, It's always a great thrill uh, to come back here and uh, to share God's Word. And I just know that today, uh, as we get around God's Word, uh, God can do something awesome in our lives. Amen. Uh, If you've got your Bibles, uh, turn me to the book of Ephesians. Uh, Ephesians uh, chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, just as you're turning there, uh, just letting you know that wherever I travel, as as many of you would know, always take some of my resource with me. Uh, I've got a couple of items that I haven't brought here before. Uh, One uh, is a CD series um, and uh, three messages uh, about overcoming. Uh, Because who knows that as a Christian, sometimes God doesn't take things away, we have to overcome them. And uh, I've got a few messages there. Uh, One is called uh, Get Over It. Uh, another one is called Getting Through a Valley, uh, and another one is a testimony of ours about the Brisbane floods called After the Flood. So if you're interested, feel free to check that out. Oh yeah, by the way, the, for the young people, uh, a CD is a disc, and uh, on the disc is, um, you, know, uh, you know, stuff that you can have on your iPod, but just not as much. So if you're interested, feel free to check that out. And also too, it was so great, I saw some of the youth a uh, couple of months ago, oh sorry, last month, at Extreme Youth Conference uh, in Mackay, uh, which was awesome. It was great to see them there. They had a great time and God did something great. And, and as they would have told you, uh, Extreme is really a conference that's known for uh, the presence of God uh, and for praise and worship. And I've got uh, an EP from the band there called Freedom Fire called Into Light, uh, a few tracks there. And uh, we're selling that uh, here today uh, just for $5.00. Uh, and so if you're interested, a uh, great gift to give to young people, some praise and worship, some good stuff that they'll really enjoy. So if you're interested, feel free to go uh, to talk to Simone at the table uh, after the service today. Ephesians chapter 5, uh, 18 and 21 uh, says this. Do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Now jump forward to Ephesians chapter 6, next chapter, verses 10 to 11. Ephesians 6, 10 to 11 says this, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Put on the whole armour of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for Your Word. I just ask and pray that You help us to be people who are continually filled by Your Spirit. I thank You and praise You for it, Lord, in Jesus' Name. Amen. Uh, The letter of Ephesians in the New Testament uh, was written by the Apostle Paul. Now, some commentators don't believe it was. And the reason why they don't believe it was is because the style of the writing of Ephesians was different from a number of his other letters. And so some commentators actually don't believe that the Apostle Paul wrote it because the style of writing was different from his other writings. However, more more recent studies would suggest that the reason why the Apostle Paul wrote it in a different style is because he was using a different template for why he was writing this letter. You see, he wrote this letter according to a template that the Romans would write letters when they were telling, trying to communicate to their villages and towns that as a nation that they were going to go to war. Uh, It's not an official phrase, but I guess it's my phrase, that in some ways that Ephesians was written as a call to arms letter, where literally the Romans would send this letter out to their people using the same template, basically saying that we are getting ready to go to war and we are going to win. 
That is why at the end of Ephesians there, the Apostle Paul writes, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Put on the full armour of God that we may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. He's telling God's people that we, God has called us to advance. He has called us to be like an invading army that is advancing, moving forward, seeing more and more people coming out of the kingdom of darkness and coming into the kingdom of light. God's desire for His church and His desire for, His, for Christians is that we live an advancing life. He has not called us to sit in a corner singing Kumbaya waiting for Him to return. He's actually called us to advance. He's called us to move forward. He wants to see more and more of the community come into the Kingdom of God. That's His desire and His call for us. And so Ephesians is written in such a way to get God's people ready to move forward and to advance. And God's desire for our lives as individuals is for us to advance as well. So every component of Ephesians is necessary for an advancing life and for an advancing church. That everything that the Apostle Paul writes about in Ephesians is necessary for us to have in our lives that we might be advancing and in our churches that our churches would be advancing as well. And so he covers a number of topics. The first half of Ephesians, he actually writes about um, he writes about our identity in Christ. So what that means is that if you're going to live an advancing life, you actually need to know who you are in Christ. A lot of Christians I know, they know who God is, but they don't know who they are. They think God is awesome, but don't realise that they are awesome as well. And because of that, they don't live an advancing life. So he, first of all, addresses the need for us as Christians to know our identity. He also talks about relationships in this as well. Talks about how our relationships need to be in order. But right there in Ephesians chapter 5, he touches on another topic. And he says, and he says, as Christians, we need to be filled by the Spirit of God. Now here, it actually means be, uh, being filled by the Spirit of God, be continually being filled by the Spirit of God. That it's a continual thing that needs to happen. That as, as Christians, we all know that there are times when we run dry. But we need to be continually filled by the Spirit of God. You might have the nicest car, the newest car, the most wonderful car, but if you don't eventually fill it with petrol, it's not going to go anywhere. And in the same way as Christians, we need to keep being filled by the Spirit of God, filled with His life, filled with His strength, filled with His joy, that we can live that advancing, moving forward Christian life that He's called us to live. So here in Ephesians, He actually gives us a few keys to actually living that life that is advancing and moving forward, that is continually regenerated by the Spirit of God. So I want to talk to you today about a few keys to being filled, living a lifestyle that keeps you filled by the Spirit of God. The first one he actually says is this. He says, don't be drunk in wine, with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another, psalms, hymns and spiritual songs. Speaking. The first key to living a life that's continually filled by the Spirit of God is that we need to have a positive confession. We need to have a positive confession. How we speak actually has an effect on how we feel and our lives on the inside. I remember talking to you at the start of last year at a Proverbs 18.21. It says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruit. We actually eat the fruit of what we say. How we speak actually determines the flow of life that's alive on the inside of us. So what that means is that when we become a Christian, one of the things that we need to do is stop talking like a Queenslander. <laughs> Amen. Now, you need to understand something. 
I love Queensland. I especially love regional Queensland. And Queenslanders and regional Queenslanders are very humble people and they're not full of themselves. And regional Queenslanders are, are wonderful, nice and humble, but are also liars. And the reason why uh, regional Queenslanders are liars is because we talk things down too much. You know, uh, when I was in Mackay, my senior pastor, Pastor Rob Booth Jones, hated this phrase, uh, not too bad. You know, have you ever said to one, how are you going? They say, oh, not too bad. You know, so you're saying you're bad, you're just not too bad. <laughs> I remember talking to a young man in our church and I said to him, how you doing, mate? He goes, oh, not too bad. I said, oh, you're bad, you're just not too bad. I said, what happened? Somebody died last night. You slept on the street. You didn't get a meal. You're not going to heaven. What is it? And he goes, actually, now that I think about it, I'm doing pretty good. <laughs> and the thing is, we need to, as Christians, have an eternal perspective. And not to have false humility or to start talking things down unnecessarily because how you talk determines how you feel. Think about it. If you speak negativity, that's what comes on the inside of you. Try it for a little while. Oh, that's hopeless. That's ridiculous. That's stupid. doesn't make you feel any better. But when you speak words of life and words of faith, I know one well-known preacher, he used to drive around in his car speaking excellent words. Wonderful. Tremendous. Fantastic. Great. What was he doing? He was feeding on the words of his mouth. And in the same way as Christians, we need to speak words of life, have an eternal perspective, put our eyes on the things that God is doing. And from the fruit of our mouth, we will actually be filled. I love it when people come up to me sometimes and they'll say, Ben, how are you doing? And I'll say, can I be honest? And they'll say, yes, you can be honest with me. And I'll say, to be honest, I'm doing awesome. <laughs> and they look at you and they're like, ah, you're not being real. Actually, yes, I am being real because life is pretty good. 95% of life is all right. And so I'm not going to spend my time focusing on the 5% that may be not working out the way that I want and putting my eyes on the things that are working and speaking according to that. Bible says speaking. The way that we talk determines the flow of the Spirit of God in our life. So that means we need to stop talking like Queenslanders and start talking like Christians. Amen. The next one is this. He says, speaking to one another. Not just speaking to yourself. Speaking to one another. Who's he talking to? Well, this letter is written to a church. So he's talking to people in the church that they need to be, continue to be in a church community. So the second key to living a life filled by the Spirit of God is actually live a life where you're part of a Christian community, that you participate in some form of corporate worship, that you're actually part of a local church. It amazes me the amount of people who are Christians but don't go to church and talk badly about the church because they may have had one bad experience somewhere and they talk badly about it and they think Jesus is okay with it. And they start saying things like, you know, I love Jesus but I don't like the church as if Jesus agrees with them. But we need to understand something about how Christ talks about the church. There's a number of phrases that the Bible uses to describe the local church. Uh, here's, one, here's a couple of them. One of the things the Bible says about the church is that uh, that Christ uh, is the head, oh, sorry, that Christ is the bride and the church, uh, sorry, Christ is the groom and the church is the bride. So saying you're like, the you're like Christ but not the church would be like coming up to me and saying, Ben, I just want to let you know you're awesome. 
you would say, I think you are the best guy. Now, I can't stand your wife, Trish. I'm not going to be like, yeah, I don't like her either. It doesn't work that way. As much as I love you, I actually love her a little bit better. You know what I'm saying? The Bible says that the church is the bride of Christ. The Bible also says that Christ is the head and the church is his body. Girls, would this pickup line work on you? You have the most beautiful face I've ever seen in my life. When I'm feeling down, depressed, all I do is think of your face and it makes me smile. When I can't get up out of bed in the morning, I just get up your Facebook profile, look at your face, and it gives me the strength to face the day. You have the most beautiful face I've ever seen in my life. Now, your body could do with a bit of work. (laughs) Christ is the head. The church is his body. It's not a compliment to the Lord to bag out the church. You hear what I'm saying? And the thing is this, church, see, some people get a funny idea about church. They think church is just a gathering of believers. That's actually not true. I remember I was talking to a guy once and he'd stopped going to church and he said to me, oh, yeah, Ben, yeah, I don't go to church anymore. I don't believe in organised religion. I remember thinking, well, I'd hate to go to a disorganised one. And, uh, and I said, well, what do you do for church? Oh, we do church at home, uh, Sunday morning. Uh, we get up. Uh, someone, uh, we sing a song, uh, someone uh, shares a testimony, uh, we read a scripture, uh, we have communion, uh, we have church at home, me, my wife and the kids. I said, bro, that ain't church. That's breakfast. <laughs> church is not purely a gathering believers. Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4, 11 and 12 that the church is actually built upon the foundation of Ascension Gift Ministry. Apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists. So churches are where there is a present of Ascension Gift Ministry as well as a gathering of believers. And as Christians, there's something powerful about when we come together. That you can actually have a really tough week, really be struggling, and then you can come to church and things can just lift off you. Uh, when I was uh, working at a church, um, I was the church I was part of the church where I'm still based at, but I was on staff at IC Church in Brisbane. We used to at one point have four services every Sunday. And so I would be at all of those. I'd preach at a number of those. And I remember, and a lot of time when I was on holidays, I would actually go away on holiday and preach while I was on holiday. But I remember one time I was on holiday and I didn't, wasn't preaching anywhere and we were just staying at home. And I thought to myself, this is great. I said, I go to church four times a Sunday. I said, there's no problem. I'll just have a Sunday off. And, um, and so my wife said to me on the Saturday night, she goes, where are we going to church tomorrow? I said, mate, I'm not going to church. I said, I'll go to church four times a week. She goes, what are you going to do? I said, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to sleep in. Then me and the boys, we're walking down to McDonald's and we're having breakfast. And then when we come home, I'm going to watch all the football shows I miss. So we're going to watch the Sunday roast. Then we're going to watch the footy show. Then I'm going to watch the AFL. Then I'm going to watch the NRL. And I'm going to have a fantastic day. So I'm not going to church. And she said, oh, okay, no worries. And then I made the mistake of um, praying before I went to bed. So I was praying. And, <laughs> and as I was praying, I said, Lord, this is what, what I'm going to do tomorrow. You know, I know you love me. And, and he goes, Bad idea. And then I was reading the, the text I was up to in the scripture was out of Psalms, and it said, What can I render to the Lord for all his benefits 
that he's given me. And there's only four things he expects, you know, take up the cup of salvation, uh, you know, praise him, uh, pay my vow before the Lord, praise him in the presence of his people. So he just basically get saved, uh, give an offering, praise God and go to church. And, uh, and he said to me, he goes, oh, so, uh, oh, you're not going to church tomorrow because you're not preaching? Uh, you know, no one else is good enough for you to listen to. Uh, so you're not going. And I thought, okay, 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 I'll go to church. So I went to bed. I said, okay, we're going to church. He goes, I told you. I said, okay. And I said, what we're going to, but I said, but what we're going to do is this. We're going to go down to the Gold Coast. We're going to go to an early morning service. And then we're spending the rest of the day down on the beach. And she goes, no worries. And so we went down, went to this church on the Gold Coast, went to the service. I walked in. As I walked in the praise and worship, it was just a bit, it was just starting. And as I did, the presence of God was there. And it just started, and, and it was almost like stuff was washing off me. And I felt rejuvenated. New life was coming in. I felt strengthened, ready to go on and face the rest of the week. And I hadn't been to church for a whole seven days. But there was something about having that habit of getting together with God's people. It's a good habit to have. One of the greatest keys to not backsliding, actually, is to continually be part of a Christian church. I mean, the Bible says the devil is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. That is a very encouraging scripture. Because it means he can't devour whoever he wants. He's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He's trying to find someone he could devour. He can't devour everybody. And he does it like a roaring lion. How does a lion attack its prey? Well, if there's a herd of animal, if that lion doesn't jump into the middle of them. Why? Because it'll be trampled. What does it do? It waits for the one that no longer is part of the group. It waits for the one, maybe it's too young or it's crippled and starts drifting away. That's the one that it takes. And in the same way, one of the greatest acts of spiritual warfare, one of the greatest acts of feeling alive in Christ is simply having the habit. Oh, that's legalism. No, it's just discipline. We all brush our teeth every day. Well, most of us. We all have a shower every day. But the, and we don't think that is legalism. It's just a part of life. We need to do that to wash things off. In the same way, just being a part of a local church and just having the habit and the discipline and going and being a part of it is one of the keys to living a life continually filled by the Spirit of God. I heard that in Baghdad, uh, the Allied forces had an area, it was about 10 mile radius or something around it. Uh, and it was called, uh, so the outside of it was the red zone and inside was the green zone. So Allied forces, when they were out in the red zone, was in, involved in active warfare. That they were fighting continually and they always had to be on their guard. But they could come into the green zone, which was protected, and they can put their weapons down. And they can lay them down, they can rest and recuperate. It's a safe place for them. And then, once they, and then they, when they went out into the red zone, they were refreshed, ready to meet the enemy head on again. For the Christian church is our green zone. It's the place where we can come, gather together. We may have had a tough week. We, may have been, we might have been fighting everything all week. We might have been worn out by the things that we've been through all week. But then we come back to the house of God. We get together with God's people. We have a good spiritual wash. We have a rejuvenation and a refresh, ready to go on and meet the rest of the week again. Amen. He says, speaking to one another. Then he says this, speaking to one another, psalms, hymns and spiritual songs. Singing, singing. So it says one of the keys to living a life continue filled by the Spirit of God is actually singing. Now, interestingly, he doesn't say women singing. 
Amen. He doesn't say young people singing. He doesn't say sing when you like the song. He doesn't say sing the slow songs. He just says singing. So one of the keys to living a spirit-filled life is to have a life where we sing. Why does that work? Well, the Bible says, and I've taught you this before, so I'm not going to spend a long time on it. But the Bible says that when we praise God, He inhabits the praises of His people. What that means is His manifest presence comes. We understand theologically that God is omnipresent. He's everywhere all at once. But there is a thing called His manifest presence. And that is that presence where you can actually feel and experience. And the Bible says in His presence is fullness of joy. And the Bible also says the joy of the Lord is our strength. So one of the keys to living a joy-filled life, and a, which is strong, is actually to have a lifestyle when we sing. That's most important when things aren't going our way. When things are tough, when things aren't happening the way that we want, that's actually the best time to praise God. When we don't feel like it, that's actually called a sacrifice of praise. When you actually don't feel like it. And when you have that habit, it's just awesome. I remember, and I didn't have it on video today, but sometimes I show it. There was this little kid uh, in America that actually got kidnapped. And he was out playing on the street and he got kidnapped and he got put in the car. And that, you can imagine that's a very traumatic experience. But the kid heard, oh, had been at church and they talked about how Paul and Silas, when they were in prison, they praised God and the prison gates opened. So he's like, okay, I'll give it a try. And so he is singing in the back of the car. He starts singing Every Praise by Hezekiah Walker. And I don't know if you, you know, every praise to our God, every word of worship in one accord, every praise, every, anyway. So the kid's singing it and the captor goes, shut up. And the kid just keeps singing it. And he sings it for about four hours. Till eventually the guy was so sick of it, he let him out and let him go home. <laughs> I thank God he chose to praise God when things weren't going his way. Amen. There's some people here, you feel stuck, you feel tied up, you feel like you can't move forward, just start praising Him. If you're in the prison, start praising Him right now and you'll be amazed there's going to be life and strength and victory when we choose to praise Him no matter what's going on. We could all praise Him when we get a breakthrough, but a real strong Christian can praise Him before the breakthrough comes, before you can even see it. He says singing. And then he says, uh, singing, making melody in your heart to the Lord. Giving thanks, always for all things. Giving thanks. The next key to living a life, continue filled by the Spirit of God, is thankfulness. Giving thanks. The Bible says we enter God's gates, His presence, with thanksgiving in our heart. We enter His courts with praise. And so when we live a lifestyle of thanksgiving, then what happens is that we draw down on that presence and we draw down on that strength. Just like I was talking to you before, we have a very strong temptation a lot of the time to focus on the things that we don't have. And that can rob our joy and strength. But the key to living a joy-filled life is not to spend all your time and attention on what you haven't got, but start putting it on what God is doing. I love the scripture where it talks about Jesus healed 10 lepers. 10 lepers came to Jesus and he healed them all of their leprosy. The Bible says that on their way, when they went to visit the priest to be checked, they got healed. And when they got to the priest, they got examined and realised that leprosy had left their body. They were healed of their leprosy. Ten of them got healed. But one decided he needed to go back and thank Jesus. 
So he went back to Jesus and he said to Jesus, thank you so much for healing me. And Jesus said, where's the other nine? And he said, I don't know. And Jesus said, okay. He said to him, your faith has made you whole. Now that's a big deal to say to a leper. Because leprosy means you're missing body parts. Leprosy means some things have been burnt off. He said to the others, they were healed. They were healed and the leprosy had left their body. But he said to the one who was thankful, you're whole. What does that mean? Body parts start coming back. Thankfulness gets you focused not on the things that you're missing, but on the things that you have. And when you do that, you, live a lot, you have strength and joy and life that fills your heart and soul like never before. My question is this, when was the last time you counted your blessings? When was the last time you said, you know what, Lord, I just want to thank you for what you have done in my life, the things that you are doing. And I promise you, even before your breakthrough, even before the victory that you need in a certain area of your life, you can still have strength and life and joy drawn down by being thankful for what you do have. He said, thanksgiving is one of the keys to living a life continually filled by the Spirit of God. Giving thanks always for all things to God, the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 21, submitting to one another in the fear of God. It actually says, it says, comma, submitting to one another in the fear of God. So that's a continuation. He's actually saying that living a life continually filled by the Spirit of God requires us to also be submitted to one another in the fear of God. Then what he does after that, he immediately talks about family relationships. He says, wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. He's not actually telling what, um, what, he's not actually saying that men should be dominant over their women. He's not saying that. The fact that he addresses the woman first is a massive culture shock. It actually elevates her level to equality with the man. He also identifies and says to the man, you need to love your wife, but he doesn't say to the wife that she needs to love her husband. So he's not saying, wives, uh, wives your job is to submit to your husband. Husbands, your job is to love your wife. They're both, supposed to, they're both supposed to do both. But it's actually identifying the area that will help keep their marriage glued together. But we don't have time to talk about that. And then he says after that, children, submit, uh, children obey your parents. Parents don't frustrate your children. So watch this. He says to them, if you want to be filled by the Spirit of God, you've got to do all these things and stay submitted to one another. And then he starts talking about these family relationships. The Romans, I told you that Ephesians was based on a Romans call to, Roman, Roman call to arms letter. And Romans was ba- the Roman worldview at the time, which I think the YMCA have since stolen, well, I'm sure of it, is that strong families equal a strong state. That's what they said. That was their worldview. So... What the Apostle Paul is saying is that strong families equal a strong church. Who knows that you can have all the disciplines in your life that you want, being part of church, having a positive confession, praising God and thanking Him. But if your family life is out of order, it sucks all the joy out of your life. You can have all these other things going well, but it's like you cut off the flow of the Spirit of God when there's issues in your marriage or issues with your children. So he is saying here, we need to keep all those things in order if we want to keep the flow of the Spirit of God in our life. It's like when you're watering a garden. You get your hose and you start watering the garden and then all of a sudden the flow cuts off. 
And you look back down the hose and you realise there's a kink in the hose and that's cutting the flow off. Well, what do you do? Well, you don't just keep yanking the hose. You go back, you straighten it out and then things just keep flowing again. In the same way, maybe you've lost joy and strength and life from the Spirit, not because you've not come to church and not because you're not praising God, but maybe there's issues at home that need to be addressed. And if you address those and straighten that out, you'll be amazed at the flow of God that continues on in your life. Can we show that first picture, um, please? Look at that. That's me, my wife, and my three boys. And uh, isn't it funny? It was multicoloured, you know. My, my middle boy in the middle, he came out white-skinned, blonde hair, and his name's Ifalemi, and, uh, which is funny, a Tongan name. And you look at that and you think to yourself, oh, mate, picture-perfect family. No problems. Well, let me tell you, there's always some kind of problems. Remember back in 2002, my wife and I were just getting on each other's nose, um, nerves all the time. <laughs> nose. Getting on each other's nerves all the time. And we were bickering a lot. Got to the point that one night in the middle of the night, she got up out of bed, packed her bag. I said, where are you going? She goes, I'm going to mum's place. I said, your mum lives in Cairns. And she goes, yeah, well, I'm going. I said, what are you doing that for? And she goes, because you're an idiot. <laughs> I realised there and then, there's a kink in my hose. I'm a pastor. I might as well not rock up to work tomorrow. So we went, straightened it out. 14 years later, we've been flowing ever since. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> my boys... The reason this was a photo taken at my mum's 70th, it was right at the start of the, um, my cousin said, do you want to have a photo? I said, no worries. And it was right at the start of the party because I said, let's do the photo now before the boys rip their jackets and get their jeans dirty. And you look at those and you think, oh man, those guys. On the left is my son, Joshua. And uh, he, you can tell by looking at that, he's a little bit of a character. When he was younger, um, he had a bit of a lying problem. Uh, I remember uh, when he was two years of age, he used to tell us he was afraid of the dark. But we realised he can't have been because we found evidence of him wandering around the house at night raiding the fridge in the dark. I remember one time he came into our room. He goes, Mummy, Daddy, I wet the bed. And we're like, oh, no. And then we walked into his room and, yep, he'd wet the bed all right. The popper he stole from the fridge exploded <laughs> in his bed. I remember another time... My mum and dad were staying at our place and dad was a bad snorer, so mum kicked him out and, and he was sleeping on a futon in the dining room. The middle of the night, he said the light comes on about 2am and he sees the fridge door open and he looks and then little Joshua, two-year-old, pokes his head out and says, it's okay, Grandpa, go back to sleep. <laughs> I remember about six years ago, um, because, you know, I've heard some families, they all talk about they've got one boundary pusher child. I've got three. And, uh, <laughs> and I remember about six years ago, my wife and I looked at each other and said, we're going to have to change the way we parent. This ain't working. Uh, how it works for some is not working for us. So we changed what we did and got a bit of wisdom from the Lord and we changed the way we parent. And there was a shift overnight. That week, I got a phone call from a church, quite one of the largest churches in Australia, 
that I felt God always told me I was going to preach for them one day. And they'd try to get me at other times and it just hadn't been working. And I remember, I, I remember the week after this happened, we changed that thing with our boys. They rang me up. And I preached there four times a year. And it's one of the greatest partnerships I've ever had in my itinerant ministry. What had happened? We straightened something out. And then God released more territory to me. I'll show you another photo. Can I show you the next one? That's my, uh, my mum and dad. Front there, my dad's Tongan. My mum's an Aussie. And look at my, and my, my sister's up the back right corner with her husband. Uh, he's uh, African-American. He's actually a Winans. You ever heard of CC Winans, BB Winans? That's, he's their nephew. So my sister's a Winans. And look at my dad. Look, at he's got two of his grandsons. One is chocolate and the other one's vanilla. And, uh, <laughs> and it's so funny. My, my mum and dad met. My dad got a scholarship from Tonga to Australia and he met my mum in Melbourne. And culturally, he's Tongan, he felt a lot of pressure from back home. He was worried that his family would not approve of him marrying a non-Tongan. And so he started a relationship. Him and my, my mum started dating and courting. And, you know, because of his fear of the family, he never proposed or anything like that. And so they were courting for too long, really. And then, uh, cut a long story short, they found out uh, they were going to have me. And then my dad thought, no, this ain't right. There's a kink in our hose. I'm going to have to straighten this out. So he proposed and they got married and, um, and they've been together 43, 44 years and that sort of thing. I, I remember hearing my dad said, my mum's actually said that on the wedding day, after the wedding, uh, they were going to have a reception at my grandma's house. And in the meantime, dad ducked out for a couple of hours. And they found out later, my dad said what had happened was he went to a place by himself alone, spent time with the Lord. And he said, Lord, you know, um, I walked away from you, but I've straightened it out. Because he realised the Bible said, Wives, submit to your husbands. Husband, loves your wives. He didn't say, partner, submit to your partner. Partner, love your partner. Amen. And so he said, I've fixed it. I'm straightening it out. My sister got saved about 12 years ago. She's a phenomenal singer. And she now runs on a regular basis in a pub down in Melbourne in the afternoon, a place, a thing called Gospel Sundays. And phenomenal phenomenal singers and celebrities come to it, phenomenal worship leaders from Melbourne come to listen to her sing. She does it as an outreach in a pub. She actually got asked by a very famous celebrity for her band to fly to Byron Bay and sing at their wedding. And she said to the celebrity, and it was covered by New Idea, that sort of thing, you had to put your phone in when you got in, it was all, all, all like that. And, and she said to him, hey, hey, you need to understand we only do gospel music. And they said, yeah, no worries, just come and play your gospel music. So they go to this A-grade celebrity wedding with all these celebrities and the whole time they're doing gospel music and declaring the gospel through music. So if you look at my sister, you know, I guess you could say she's a territory taker. And I guess if you look at um, me and my wife's life, we could be considered territory takers too. And it all happened after... Mum and dad straightened it out. Come on. 
You weren't expecting this, huh? <laughs> but maybe there's a kink in your hose. And no matter what you do, your joy is robbed. But if you straighten it out and God's grace is with you to do it, then you will find there's a new level of life and joy and strength and fullness of the Spirit like you've never experienced before. Maybe you're here and you're saying, well, I'm not married or, or I'm young. I'm, how does this affect me? Well, the Bible says that as children, we've got to honour our parents. Why? Because the Bible says that, um, that if we honour our father and mother, then all will go well for us in the land God gives us. So what that means is this, that as children, as we honour our parents, that actually affects our destiny. Our future is dependent on how I treat our parents. I know a lot of people think their future is dependent on how their parents treated them. Don't get me wrong, we are affected by how we're raised. But we serve a mighty powerful God who can undo all that damage. But here's the thing, if we are dishonouring to our parents, we still do not access that promise that God has for us. And maybe you're a younger person, you're single here and you're saying, actually I need to change the way I relate to my parents. The onus is on me. So maybe here today, you're sitting here and you're saying, Ben, I do need to straighten something out. I believe the grace and the power of God is here. He can release grace and favour in your situation. I'm not talking about things that I haven't been through myself. I've shared challenges with myself and in my family and that sort of thing. We all go through it. And I can testify today that every time we've straightened something out, God has released more into our life. Amen. So can I just ask you to close your eyes and bow your heads and Maybe you're here and you're saying, you know what, Ben? I have to straighten something out in our family. Maybe it's with my spouse. Maybe it's with my kids. Maybe it's with my parents. I know that I haven't done what I could do.